Hey, everybody. Welcome. Good to have you here. Welcome, welcome. Welcome at our campuses. Welcome the uh, 250 people that are watching Facebook Live right now. Hopefully, my father-in-law figured out how to do it, and you're on there, Don, and, and Rob, and Sarah, and Mimi, and Tiffany, and all you people. Uh, Sarah Kaufman's out in the lobby at the FPU booth watching. Well, uh, yeah, got to get here one way or the other. Uh, uh, we're, we're glad to have you here. We, uh, we're talking about how to have 2020 in a not average way. Let me, just add, let me start this way by asking you, do you feel like sometimes you live in a parallel universe? universe like like this is I mean when you think about it that it's 2020 I know we don't write checks anymore but it's 2020 is that like gotten in there does it seem like yesterday we were worried about the computers that were going to end the world the y2k right that was 20 years ago do you do you understand that we have legalized marijuana now in Illinois I always wait for somebody to clap. Usually every service, somebody sticks their foot in their hands. Um, doesn't it seem like yesterday that it was only Willie Nelson that was allowed to smoke pot? I mean, I just ask you. I mean, the world is different. The Vikings and the Packers made the playoffs and the Bears didn't. That has to be a parallel universe, right? And oh yeah, by the way, a former reality TV star is now the president of the United States, okay? Upside down world, that's what I'm saying. I mean, seriously, if you'd woken up from a long coma and you were here now, you'd be like, what? Do you ever, have you ever been in a place where you were in a different culture, in an out-of-element kind of a situation? Like, like, because of our mission efforts, I've been in a, a lot of different places in the world. I've eaten some crazy things in some other cultures, insects, parts of animals that you wouldn't want me to name. And my favorite was guinea pig uh, in Ecuador. It tastes like chicken, in case you're wondering. And, and I've also been in some of the poorest regions in Central America, South America, and Africa. I've seen a lot of the world, not the touristy side of the world, but, but how the real world lives in other places. Probably the craziest was Cuba back when it was still Cuba, back in the Iron Curtain, back when, you know, we had embargoes and you weren't supposed to go. We had a missions effort and we went and everybody's driving around in 55 Chevys because they can't use newer cars because of, you know, the way they felt about the U.S. and everybody's poor. And it was just a really surreal experience to go in and do that. I've often, what I'm saying, been in situations where I'm out of my element. Maybe you have too. Maybe you feel like that now. Uh, to a certain degree, I, I kind of do. And, and I'm kind of used to it because I moved a lot when I was a kid. My dad wasn't in the Army, but pastors moved a lot back then. My dad was a pastor, and we moved from semi-rural Oklahoma to Denver when I was five, and then back to suburban Oklahoma City when I was 10, and then we changed houses once when we were there, and then 80 miles at 14, I went 80 miles north to Enid, Oklahoma, which was this quintessential town of you know, 40,000 people with a town square and one high school, and that's where I ended up doing into junior high and high school. I had to learn to acclimate to different cultures and different friends and different schools a lot. At 14, I just remember thinking, well, at least there'll be a new crop of girls there, because <laughs> that's what you're thinking at 14, right? Um, didn't work out like I hoped, but that's beside the point. We went to college in Missouri then when I was 18. I uh, had my first full-time vocational ministry at age 22 in Amarillo, Texas. And then in 25, we moved to St. Louis and lived for three years there until finally I was banished to Siberian Chicago at age 28. And that, that's how the whole story went. And we've settled in now. Um, I, honestly, it was one of our goals. I didn't want my kids moving around all over the place. And I just got to tell you, 
All kidding aside, we couldn't be happier about the opportunity we had to raise our family here in this community. I can complain about Illinois, and you know we won the de- least desired state award again this year. I don't know if you heard that. Um, uh, number one state people are moving out of yet again. We're number one. Woo! But it has been seriously and will continue to be a great privilege to live here with you. It was God's plan for me and my family to be part of this community. It just wasn't the way I grew up. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't how it was for me, and, and, and I'm very thankful for that. My kids and I were talking about it over the holidays, how fondly we remember how great it was for them to be here. And people are listening to me right now who had a great impact on my daughters in both school and church, and I'm very, very grateful. Couldn't have picked a better place. Could have picked a warmer place, but we couldn't have picked a better place to raise our family. And it was important for us, just so you know, for our kids to be involved in their culture. We, we wanted them to be in public school as opposed to homeschooling or private school because we wanted them to be in their culture as they were learning to live their faith. They all went to Lincoln Way East, which is number one in football, by the way, in case you didn't know, state champions. Way to go, Coach Z. He's one of our Parkview guys. Coach Z has won several ch- state championships, and he helped teach one of my daughters to drive in driver's ed. I don't know which one was a bigger accomplishment. Uh, I'll leave that up to him. But... But that was, the, that was a situation for us then. You know, they're, they're older now. What would it be like now? Now, our kids are raising my grandkids in Ventura, California, and Franklin, Tennessee. Both families are having to figure out school. Olivia in California is four, and Charlie in Nashville is five. And, and it feels like a different time and a different place than when we were making those decisions for their parents. It, even, even though Franklin, Tennessee is one of the best school systems in the country, it feels like they're making decisions based on different criteria than we were back in the day because we live in a different culture. My friend Ashley Woolrich is the pastor of CCV in Phoenix. He's got kids in high school, daughters in high school. And he said one of them just randomly met this other girl one day who nonchalantly told her, tonight I'm going to have my first sugar daddy. And Ashley said my daughter you know, just naturally assumed she meant the candy. She said, oh, I love those. To which the other girl in high school said, all I have to do is sleep with this guy tonight and he'll give me enough money to buy a car. That just doesn't seem like the same world. Not your average is what we want to talk about with 2020. And today I want to talk about our lifestyle. How do we live our life in a culture that isn't what it used to be. I mean, I, I talked about this last week. I don't want you to get to the end of 2020 and be feeling like this little girl and, and just want to, that little girl, and just want to, you know, beat me up because it didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. I, I want you to be free from your chains. We talked about the chains at Christmas Eve, and we got to leave the chains behind but not pick them back up again. Nancy Adams, one of our people, went to Home Depot and bought some chains and put them under her tree. I didn't even think about telling you guys that. That would have been a great idea. She showed me this picture, and when her 10-year-old grandson came over, he said, oh, like we talked about at church. I I love that. I want to leave the chains behind. So how do we do that as we go into 2020 in a different culture than probably we ever realized we were going to live in? We go back to 605 B.C., and Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, okay? Modern Persian Gulf. He is the undisputed 
big dog in the world. You know, there was Alexander the Great. There were all these different people that were like the conquerors of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was it in that day. And Babylon's culture was not necessarily godly. They followed a whole lot of gods, but we still, 2,500 years later, kind of use Babylon as a term to refer to a culture that is anything goes. It's, it's not really based on any kind of morality whatsoever. We still call that Babylon today. And here's what I've been thinking about as I've been processing 2020 and how we react in our world today. My parents and my in-laws did ministry back in the day when the United States was what we would call a Christian nation, right? And there's a lot of talk and a lot of argument about how do we get back to that today and, and what's going on. And, and, and I just want you to know that it's not the same as when my parents were doing ministry. It's not the same when I was growing up. It doesn't matter whether you're in Oklahoma or Chicago or Siberia. It doesn't matter because it's not the same. It's a different time. And it's okay because Christianity was birthed as a countercultural movement. So I think we're okay. And I'm not saying that we should give up on Jesus being Lord of the United States of America. I think we should vote. I think that we should, we should make our voices known. I'm just saying that it's going to look a lot different in 2020 than it did in 1950 or 1960. And a lot of people can't get over that. And a lot of churches can't get over that. We can't just get in our, you know, back to the future DeLorean and go back and, and go back to the way things used to be. Somebody sent me this picture. I thought it was great. The back to the future nativity scene. Uh-oh. So how do we move forward, right? How do we move forward? And this is where we pick up Daniel. This is where we pick up on Daniel. And I can't unpack the whole story this weekend, so I promise I'm going to come back uh, later on in the year and unpack the whole story, do several weeks on it, because you, you want to hear about Esther next weekend. You want to be back for that, okay? Uh, but but, but here's, here's how it starts, all right? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, current context, really fascinating. Babylon is Iraq, parts of Turkey, Egypt, and parts of Iran. They've gone to Israel, they've taken everybody captive, and they're bringing them back. Pick up in verse 3, then Daniel, then, then the king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, Scholars um, are very, very sure that Daniel actually wrote this. <laughs> so take it for what you want. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylon, okay? Don't give up on the story because he was a hard-headed man and he was brutally handsome in his own mind. The story of Daniel is not what he looked like. It was about who he looks like, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring these people back as slaves to do their work. That's what they did back in those days. That made sense. But he's smart enough to go, hey, I want to take some of the young, sharp people. I want to take some of the young, sharp men at this point, and I want to bring them back, and I want to indoctrinate them in Babylonian, Babylonian culture. If I leave them as Jews in their own culture where they're reading their own Bibles and doing things their God's way, they're never going to be able to serve me well. So basically, he enrolls them in the University of Babylon. All right? These are young men. Uh, I mean, you think about where our, our culture comes to us from today, it would have been Nebuchadnezzar gave them all an iPhone. 
right? You know that the stats are that we touch our phones 2,600 times a day. Touch. We look at them 87 to 150 times a day. Where do you think our culture is coming from today? The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. All right, well, this doesn't sound too bad. Daniel, sharp-dressed man, handsome Daniel, aptitude, you know. He gets picked, and his three buddies, he gets picked to be a part of this deal, okay? And he's going to be part of the leadership. And you got to go, okay, well, at least if I'm going into exile, at least this is going to be good because I'm going to get food from the king's table. We're talking about prime cuts of beef. We're talking about Jim Beam Black, not just Jim Beam. We're talking about Camus and Silver Oak, the stuff that you look at the wine menu and you're like, who pays that kind of money at a restaurant? That's what they're doing. But, but that wasn't the point. More importantly, the point was food that was sacrificed to idols and food that the Jews weren't supposed to eat. So you see what's happening here. He's coming along and he's saying, hey, don't worry about your God and the way you do things. Come on over here. All this food is good, man. All this food is great. Well, I'm not supposed to eat that food according to my religious customs. Yeah, I know, but who cares? It's really good food. They were to be trained for three years, right? They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So this is Daniel's new life. New time, new place, but at least he's not a slave. He's going to be trained for the king's service. Now, back in Judah, back, back, back where he was from, he would have been in a time where things were very predictable for him. He probably thought, hey, this is, I'm, 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 my life is good. I'm smart. I'm darn good looking, and, and I'm going to find a nice wife. I'm going to have a great career. I'm going to do all these wonderful things for God, have a prominent place in the temple. My life is figured out. But life did not turn out the way he planned. John Orberg said it this way. There's a whole world of heartbreak in those first two verses. What? These verses. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Daniel lost his culture. He lost his relationships. He was going to have to learn a foreign language. He was going to live and die, and he actually did 65 years the rest of his life in a place he never wanted to be. If that sinks in for you, maybe your Babylon is not about the culture or the country or even the timing. Maybe it's about the relationship or the job or, or whatever it is. You're in a place you never wanted to be. The question for us is how do we live and die in a place we never thought we wanted to be? The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. The Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. We talked last week about the importance of names, and Jabez had to get past his because he was pain boy. But this time, the names are important because each of their names had a, a Hebrew descriptor of God attached to it. Daniel and Mishael were about El, Elohim, the name for God. It used to describe God. And the syllable Yah in Hananiah and Azariah came from Yahweh. So their names reminded them that they belonged to God. 
the, the one true God. And the new name that Nebuchadnezzar was giving them was, hey, you have a new king now. You have new gods now. Allow Babylon to define you. So eat the Babylonian food, drink the Babylonian wine, be a Babylonian name, learn Babylonian language and culture. Now, here's the problem. The name Daniel meant the Lord will judge. The Lord will be my judge. Daniel's a great name. Any Daniels in here, any of our campuses online? Okay, Daniel's a great name. Daniel is my dad's name. Daniel is going to be my son's name. I have three daughters. Little Danny got lost in the swim, okay? Yes, I just said that. On Facebook Live. Every time Daniel heard his name spoken, it was a reminder The Lord is the judge. The Lord will set things right. His very name had been a promise every time he heard it. But now he's not Daniel anymore. He's Belteshazzar. That's not one of the new names people are picking even today. It means Bel, who was a a god of Babylon, protect the king. See what they're doing? And all the other four did the same thing. You also need to realize that, that, Bab, that, that Daniel's a teen. I mean, he's got to be a, a, a teenager at this point in order to go into the king's service. So this is a lot for a teenager. I don't care how sharp and, and, and wonderful he was. It's a lot for him to go through. And scholars would tell you that most likely, we don't know this, but, but the custom of the day was if you served in the court of the king, you were made a eunuch. Okay. So you explain that to your kids, and that is a real big game changer. One way or another, the question is, when we're stuck in Babylon, can we actually believe in an unexpected God when the life we expected falls through? Because Babylon will say, God hasn't helped you. Look at all the troubles that you've got. Forget about God and serve another God, right? But don't do it. Remember who you are. Remember this verse I read you last week from from the Apostle John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Never forget that. Never forget that as we go into 2020. And that is what we are. I didn't read this part last week, and I want to add it to there. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Babylon doesn't know God. So they don't get it. They're going to try to change everything. So how do you live? Again, I don't know if this is about the culture today or where you're at personally. How do we live as an exile in a foreign culture? Well, a couple of things, just three. It takes more work to follow God's values. Big duh, but here's what it says. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Now, this is fascinating to me because I think most of us would have said, okay, I'm here, I'm going to go with the flow, I'm going to blend in. If I'm, if I'm going to not eat the food and drink the wine, I'm going to just act like I am, and I'm going to eat the stuff that I know I can eat, and I'm going to go on. But Daniel resolved. He resolved. Up to this point, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar have been resolving everything. As a matter of fact, a better word is determined. It it says that the the, the chief of the officials determined their names, and Nebuchadnezzar determined. And then you get to to verse 8, and it's the hinge of the whole story. But Daniel determined. 
But Daniel determined not to, refu- not to defile himself with the rich food. Daniel the teenager, Dana, Daniel the teenage captive, prisoner. This is where the story begins. For Daniel, this was about violating his conscience. And he decided that he was going to draw the line right up front. And this is really important for you to hear. Because he decided not to compromise his spiritual integrity right here at the very beginning. The sooner you determine not to compromise, the better. Because if he knew if he started to compromise with the food, then pretty soon he was going to be compromising with the prayer, which is what got him in the lion's den later on in the story, right? He's going to start compromising with all the other areas of his life. And what he knew is that if he made determinations in any area of his life, it would affect him in other areas as well. You know this, right? If you start to eat better, it's going to help you be disciplined in other areas of your life. If you start to work out more, it's going to help you be disciplined in other areas of your life. And what about this? Did you know that 69% of Americans can't cover a $1,000 emergency? Did you know that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? I mean, maybe it's time to determine that we're not going to live the world's values right here. Instead of the food thing. When you talk to your kids about money, do you, is this how it goes for you? Hey, Billy, here's what I want for you as you grow up. I want you to pay attention to what everybody else has and everybody else does and always buy the latest and greatest things so that you can feel good about yourself compared to your friends. And don't worry about saving up to make those purchases. Just put them on your credit card. That's what it's there for. Immediate gratification, Billy. That's the way to go. And don't worry about saving for the future or being generous. Live for the moment, you know, because the government's going to take care of you in the end when you retire. So just don't worry about it. Sounds kind of crazy when it comes out like that, doesn't it? And yet that's how 78% of Americans are living. That's how the average person is living, and they're living with this. That's why we're trying to get, and you've heard this already, our entire church to go through Financial Peace University because we want peace for you. We want freedom for you and not chains. This is the biggest problem that all of us deal with in this culture right now are the chains of finances. 1,300 people at, at Parkview have already taken Financial Peace University. And during that nine-week period, they reported that they paid off $1.6 million in debt and saved $1.8 million. Is that amazing? It's not really amazing because the average person pays off $5,300 in debt and saves $2,700 in the first 90 days after taking Financial Peace University. Why are we talking about this at church? Because where your treasure is, your heart is. That's what Jesus said. So go to Financial Peace University booth in your lobby or go online and sign up. If you're part of a small group that's already meeting together, then twist their arms and say, let's do this together, you guys. And if you've already been through it, great. You can help other people go through it. But determine to, to fix this with your money in 2020. Daniel determined, okay? It's uh, going to take more work. It takes more work. Didn't take work for my wife and I to have a budget when we were first married because they weren't going to give us a credit card. That didn't happen back then. We just had to. But now the culture is different. It's going to take more work. <clears throat> Number two, we should treat others with respect. One of the things I love about the story of Daniel is that he was respectful all the way to the lion's den. 
I mean, he really was. He asks to be allowed not to eat the royal food. And then the chief of staff comes back and he says, no, I can't do that because Nebuchadnezzar will have my head if that turns out badly. Hey, listen, a lot of people want to complain and demand, but they don't take the time to work out solutions. Daniel didn't compromise his beliefs, but he listened and he came up with a win-win. I love this. Instead of getting upset, he said, please, and he provided an alternative. Okay, how about this? Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Once Daniel made the decision, he didn't shove his beliefs in the face of others. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Daniel still challenged the rules. He still questioned authority. He just used his tact and used his head. Because how we treat others is almost as important as the stand we take to be determined and live for God. And in many ways, Christianity in this point in time is our own worst enemy. Peter said, we're supposed to shine like stars. You're not the sun, guys. I'm not the sun. I'm a star, okay? Jesus said to be the salt and the light. And so many people have been burned by too much salt, and they've been blinded by too much light. And it happens all over social media every day. There's got to be a balance of being able to say, okay, I'm determined that I'm going to live for this, but I'm still going to be kind to the people that are around me and that disagree with me. I'm still, I'm still going to be a, a good person that shines the light. you got to shine the light, okay? There's a balance. <laughs> Stupid burglar category. Police caught in Maryland this week uh, would-be thieves, two would-be thieves who were trying to break into a safe, true story, I promise you, with a laser. They admitted that they had stolen the laser from an amusement center. It was a laser tag gun. <clears throat> and according to the report, these two rocket scientists had been shining the light on the safe for nearly an hour before the police arrived. It's just not working, Bubba. Do you see a hole? I'm sorry. That's funny. Our light has to be effective, but it can't be blinding. Do you see what that looks like? That's what Daniel was such a great model of. Daniel didn't lead a revolt. He didn't go off on Twitter about the king. That would have been a dumb idea. Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of leader that cut people a lot of slack. But, but all the way to the lion's den, Daniel was respectful and not malicious at all. There's an interesting parallel for this in Jeremiah. This is also about the people that are living from Israel who are living in Babylon in exile. God punished them because they weren't following him again, and that's why Babylon is here. And here's what Jeremiah says, and this is different than the way God treats the Israelites a lot of times, but here's what Jeremiah said God told him to tell the people. Build houses while they're living in Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. In other words, multiply there in Babylon and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Wow. The welfare of our country, the welfare of where we live, 
is our welfare. And God's saying, look, you live there. You can fight against it. You can move away if you want to. But the best thing you can do is seek the welfare of the place where you're at. Be a part of the solution. Pastor Casey said it to me better. You're going to want to take a picture of this because it was really perfectly said. More people follow beautiful lives than they do belligerent loudmouths. More people, can I get a dilly-dilly? More people follow beautiful lives than they do belligerent loudmouths. And yet that's all the rhetoric we hear sometimes are the belligerent loudmouths. There's a balance. Last thing is we will need a faith in God, in a God who is bigger than we understand. Okay? Daniel has an amazing initiative. He has a faith in a God who he knows is going to work, and God is going to work. Matter of fact, we see that God does work along the way. But here's the point. Daniel is about to discover something in Babylon that he probably never would have learned if he would have stayed back in Israel. I have learned, we have learned things about God by moving away from the Bible Belt where we grew up and coming to Chicago. We have learned things about God that we never would have learned if we would have stayed in our own little bubble. And you have too. Whether it's a Babylon that you wanted to be, I chose to be here. Whether it was a place, a foreign culture that you chose to be or one that was put upon you, you have an opportunity to believe in God in a different way because you're there. Notice the work of God. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Would he have done that back in Israel? Maybe, I don't know. But now God caused the official, verse 9, to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. There's some stuff in here. God gave, God caused. And as the writer of the story, Daniel is able to look back now and go, hey, this God that I you know, grew up believing in and I heard all the stories and, and, and I, I love this God, this God is even bigger than all that because because." I can see now that God is even up to something in Babylon. And that may be hard for you to hear. Because again, Babylon might not be a place that you chose. Babylon might be a very painful experience for you right now. It might be a marriage. You might be in a Babylon of a marriage. You might be in a Babylon of a family. You might be in a Babylon of a job. There's all kinds of things. You might be in Babylon as a school. I mean, there's so many ways that it could be. But as it turns out, God can be up to something in Babylon. As it turns out in the story, we don't have time to get into it, God even loves Nebuchadnezzar. So you think about who it is out there in the world that represents the opposite side of culture, the way you think the United States ought to be. You think of whoever it is. I don't care what political party, whatever it is. You think of whoever it is that you think epitomizes that person that is the worst possible person that could be in that situation, and you never forget that they are a child of God and that God loves them too and that God loves you and that God is at work wherever your Babylon is. Dallas Willard said this so brilliantly. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment as not being right, 
You know, if only I was here, or if only I had that, or if only I was in this relationship, if only, if only. If we constantly discard moment after moment as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. So, pray to the Lord on the behalf of the city where you're at, because its welfare is your welfare. It's not Daniel's fault that he's there, but it's Daniel's responsibility. It's not your fault, your family of origin or a financial decision from a spouse or from somebody else that you're, that you're in on that is now yours, that are your chains. It's not your fault that you had bad church experiences and your faith journey has been one that's been all over the place. Despite the problems, God is still here, that your hand would be with me. That was our prayer. And, and he wants you to join him, and he wants you to join him wherever you are right now doesn't mean maybe you shouldn't try to get out of the Babylon situation that you're in, okay? Don't hear that wrong. If you're in abuse or whatever, please don't hear that the wrong way. I'm just saying that God can be up to something in whatever Babylon you find yourself in. And if 2020 is that for you, let's see what he can do. Will you stand with me? We're going to worship. And uh, I want to pray for us before we do that, and then we'll do communion together. <clears throat> Lord God, I just want to pray that you'll be with us. Bless us indeed. Enlarge our territory, whatever that means, um, even if that territory is in Babylon. Lord, we pray that you will, your hand will be with us, especially if we're in Babylon, and that you'll keep us from evil, that we might not cause pain. Thank you for this example of Daniel today. Thank you for the example of what it looks like to live in a place that maybe we didn't think we'd ever end up. But we can still live for you. We can still be a star, a light in that universe. We seek the welfare of the city. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.